All right, well today I'm gonna to start with a story about 18-year-old Chris, and I like to tell stories about 18-year-old Chris because 18-year-old Chris was an idiot, and I, and I mean that in like the absolute nicest way possible. 18-year-old Chris just didn't know anything. Like, he was book smart, and he tried really hard, but then he was super naive and didn't actually know anything socially. So I was a freshman at the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, and after the month away from Chris's break, I came back to school, and I came back to Eau Claire, and I made up my mind to do something that I had wanted to do for a while. I asked this girl out on a date. I had had a crush on this girl for a good stretch of time, and I decided to take my shot. I was a college freshman, she was a high school senior, and I asked her out, and she said yes. This was actually my, my first date. Like, I had gone to dances, I had taken people to dances, but this was my first like date. So we figured out a night that worked for both of us and I made a plan. We were gonna go to eat at Olive Garden, which was a five-star restaurant in 2001 and watch a movie, A Walk to Remember, because nothing screams date movie like a movie where Mandy Moore sings Switchfoot songs and then dies of cancer. But before she dies, she changes a boy into being a better person. And anyway, so we go out, we had a good time. After the movie, I took her home and she asked if I wanted to come inside and hang out with her family for a little bit. I said, sure, I can't stay long. I've got a worship team practice at 10, which was true. Um, so I went in, we played cards with her mom and two of her brothers before I had to leave. And then she walked me to the door. This is a little bit reverse. Like, you know, usually you're walking the girl to the door. She walked me to the door from inside the house, walked me to the door where I said I had a good time. And then I extended my hand to give her a high, high quality end of date handshake. Now, I should tell you at this point, her dad was not there to play cards. Her dad was the pastor of the church that I was attending that year of college. And the reason he wasn't home to play cards was he was in a board meeting for the church. That's going to come back around in the story. So, so I go to worship practice and I'm talking with my, my band friends who are also all right around the age of 20. And they asked how the date went. I said it went good. And they asked the question that every guy asks another guy at the end of, about the end of a date. What'd you do at the end of the date, right? Now, translation is, did you kiss her? Did you kiss her? And I said, oh, she walked me to the door and I shook her hand. Now, that was met with, you did what? You did what? And that's the, and it was also met with, that's the lamest thing I've ever heard of a person ending a date. And I said, well, it's better than nothing. To which all three of the guys that I was talking with said, no, nothing would have been better. And I was like, okay, well, it still seemed like things like it went okay. So this was a Thursday. Sunday, this is where, this is where things kind of really started to fall apart. Sunday, I go to church early. I got there for worship practice before the early service. And then I'm hanging out in the lobby. And like, like I didn't need to be greeted. Like I was a, I was a regular. Like, like I was there early. I was there before the greeters were there. But the weirdest thing started happening. All of the greeters in the church, one by one, started coming up to me, reached out their hand and said things like, I don't know if you know me, but I'm so-and-so. And I just want to shake your hand because I've heard how much you like shaking hands. Now, again, all of the greeters in the church. And then all of the board members in the church started to do the same thing. I'm like, I this is so weird, including one guy who played in the worship team, who I had already seen on stage, who had already gone through a band practice with, came to introduce himself to me. He played the rain stick. He played percussion. He had a rain stick. He had a super long, like, like, I, like I knew this guy, super long ponytail. It was amazing. 
all the board members in the church started coming up and saying the same thing. And then after a while, here's what I saw. I caught the pastor of the church high-fiving these grown adults after shaking my hand. It was amazing. It, like Once I realized it was, going, it was amazing and terrible all at the same time. And here's the lesson I learned that day in that church. If you're going to be in that church and date the pastor's daughter, you better be a good sport when people give you a hard time. And that's a lesson that I am looking forward to passing on to some fine gentlemen in our church in about 15 years. Now, we're in this series, Friendly, and we're talking about building healthier and better and stronger relationships in our lives. And last week, we began with the most important aspect of building strong and healthy relationships, the people we choose to be in relationship with, that we become like the people we surround ourselves with, and we experience the results of their actions and decisions. And because of that, we said all of us should be careful, not casual, when choosing our people. Now, moving forward into the new content, what I explained in the story that I opened with is what I call a conditional relationship. If you blank, you have to blank. In that case, if you're going to be here and date her, you have to be a good sport. In other instances, this is if you want X, you have to bring Y to the table. Now, we are aware of all kinds of conditional relationships in our world between what we want and what we have to provide. What we want and what we have to provide. That if you want this, you have to provide this. Uh, if you want to be awake in the morning, you need to get a good night of sleep or develop a coffee addiction. That's also, you, know, you can also do that. If you want a 4.0 in school, you need to work hard and study well for tests. If you want a raise, if you want a promotion, if you want more sales, you need to work harder, maybe work differently, maybe work better, maybe work on your people skills. If you want X, you need to provide Y. In all kinds of areas of your lives, we understand conditional relationships. And yet in our relationships, we want our relationships to be unconditional. We want our friendships to be unconditional, meaning no matter how I act or how I treat people, I think I deserve healthy, strong, positive relationships. Isn't that true? Like that even if we don't think we deserve them, we certainly hope we will get them. I think people should want to be around me and hang with me and be around me and be positive people and be healthy relationships for me, be friendly with me just because I'm me. Just because I'm me. This is what we call the myth of unconditional friendship. The myth of unconditional friendship is the myth that exists because of romantic comedies and slow burn TV shows that there are unconditional relationships and friendships that exist in the world where no matter what we do and what we choose and how we act, people will be the exact same toward us. That the quality and health of the relationship only depends on the other person's willingness to love and accept us unconditionally. It's a myth. It's a wonderful picture, but it's a myth. It doesn't actually exist. It doesn't exist. Even in the best of circumstances with the best, most loving, most accepting people in the world, they're still going to love you and accept you at all times, but the quality and death and health of the relationship will not be the same if you don't bring something to the table. Now, what's interesting about this is you can live this way. Like, in fact, a lot of our world does live this way. And because so much of our world lives this way, when you live this way, it probably doesn't seem like you're missing out on anything because your relationships look like most of the world's, like your friendships look like most of the friendships that you see around you. Your marriage looks like most of the marriages that you see around you. You're, you're, as a parent, your relationship with your kids looks a lot like the rest of the world's relationships with their kids. Like you, you think you're not missing out on something, but when you live this way, you actually do miss out on what God has in mind for you when it comes to the most important and most influential relationships in 
our lives. And amazingly enough, this isn't a new phenomena. This isn't a new phenomena that we, that we live with where we think we get to act and live however we want to live and then our relationships are just going to magically be healthy. Apparently, this was something that was going on 3,000 years ago when Solomon lived because Solomon felt the need to put into words a simple but powerful truth in the form of a proverb. Here's what he wrote in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. A man who wants X, if you want X, is they have friends. They must himself be Y. They must be friendly. In other words, Solomon looked at life and he noticed a few things to be true. Number one was that everyone wants friends. Now, some of you, like in your most annoying moments, you're like, ah, friends, I don't need them. Like friends, like people are all, we need some more plagues around here. We need less people. We need less, like I, I don't need friends. But here's the thing, you want friends. Every one of us wants friends. Number two is the thing that Solomon noticed is not everyone that wants friends has friends. And so he asked the question, well, why is it that some people who want friends don't seem to have friends? Why do some people want friends but don't actually have friends? Why do some people want solid relationships but they don't actually experience solid relationships? Why do some people want, why, does, why do all of these people you know, want healthy relationships, but they don't have healthy relationships. And Solomon's conclusion was that if you want friends, you yourself must be friendly. You yourself must be a friend, that you can't have friends without being a friend. You can't have friends if you're unfriendly. In the same way we said last week that you can't build healthy relationships with unhealthy people and can't build positive relationships with negative people and can't build life-giving relationships with people that suck the life out of you, you can't build great relationships if you're not willing to be friendly. You can't build healthy relationships if you are not a healthy person to be around. You won't build positive relationships if you are not a positive influence on others. And you won't build life-giving relationships if you suck the life out of people around you. This is what we call the conditional law of friendship, that the health of our relationships will always hinge on our willingness to be friendly, to be friendly. The health, the strength, the positivity, the amount of life giving that comes from your relationships and it comes to you as a, as a result of your relationships, the health of our relationships, it will always hinge on our willingness to be friendly. This is the second foundational truth of our friendships, of our relationships, how to build stronger and better and healthier relationships. Number one is we want to build strong relationships with people that are strong. And we want to build healthy relationships by choosing carefully to surround ourselves with healthy people. That we want to choose carefully, not casually. At the same time, in this, as, as the second leg that we stand on in our relationships, you can't have healthy, strong relationships if you're not bringing, at the very minimum, friendliness to the table. You will not have a strong marriage if you're not bringing friendliness to the table. You'll not have a strong relationship as an adult parent with your adult children if you're not bringing, at the bare minimum, friendliness to the table. And oh yes, by the way, you will not have strong friendships in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in the church. You will not have strong friendships if you're not bringing friendliness as a bare minimum because the health of our relationships, it always hinges on our willingness to be friendly. And with that, we ask ourselves the question that should be asked at, at the end of that statement. Well, then what does it actually look like to be friendly? How, like if, if my friendliness 
is at the bare minimum, is, is the bare minimum of what it takes to build stronger, better, healthier relationships, more positive relationships, more life-giving relationships. What does it look like to be a friend that builds those types of relationships? So I want to give you today five things of how to be friendly, five things that are friendly. So here's the first one. Faithful is friendly. Faithful is friendly. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says this, a friend loves at all times, at all times, at all times. For some of you, you may want to type that in the chat right now. You might need to say it out loud wherever you are. A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for a difficult time. We all know people who love when it's convenient and show up when it's convenient and when it's easy for them and when it's easy on them. These people, unfortunately, we also know people that, you know, that the people that show up when it's easy, they disappear the moment that someone else's life circumstances become difficult. And let's be honest, I mean, sometimes it's a good natured disappearance or withdrawal. It's like, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to be overbearing. Solomon reminds us that friendly means you love at all times and you show up at all times. You may not always show up in all of the same ways, but you show up at all times. You love at all times. You care at all times. You pray at all times. The fun ones and the not so fun ones. Don't be the person. In other words, if you want to be friendly, don't be the person that disappears when times get difficult for the people that you claim as friends. Be the person who leans in, who shows up, who leans in with your presence, with your words, with your prayers, and with your actions because faithful is friendly. It's easy to show up at times when it's easy. It's more difficult to show up when times are difficult, but faithful is friendly. So if you want to be a friend, for some of us, we need to examine our lives and, want, and ask ourselves, well, why is it that I tend to disappear when things get difficult? I want to be a friend, which means I need to be faithful. The second thing is that edification is friendly. Edification is friendly. Edification is the art of bringing out the best in people, whether by our words or by our supporting actions. In other words, this is a person who actually wants and helps other people become better. They want people to become better and they do whatever's within their power to help other people become better. We talked about this last week that you've had times where people brought out the best in you and times where others brought out the worst in you. If you want to be a great friend, be the type of friend who regularly focuses on bringing out the best in other people, who will help bring out the best in them, even sometimes at the expense or the cost to you. In Proverbs 27, verse 17, Solomon wrote this, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another, or one friend should sharpen another. In other words, the job of a friend, something that, that true friends do, is friends make each other better. They bring their life into close proximity with another life and their life and their words and their actions and their support and their encouragement and their challenging and they're saying, hey, you're not gonna quit right now. That makes another person better. And the job of a friend is to use their presence and their actions and their support and their encouragement not to bring out the worst, but to bring out the best, to make another person's life sharper. And let me tell you why you avoid this. Like I know sometimes I avoid this. It's a two-way street. 
Because I, I can't just sharpen them. By sharpening them, I also, by nature, get sharpened. And there are things in my life that I don't necessarily want sharpened. I, I, I'm okay with my rough edges. My rough edges, when I sharpen them, my rough edges get exposed and addressed as well. But I'm telling you, great friends do this because edification is friendly. Using my life and my actions and my words to build someone else up and to bring out the best in another person and to call out the best in another person and to make sure that they don't quit when times get difficult. That's what friends do because edification is friendly. The third one is that empathy is friendly. Empathy is friendly. Empathy is the ability to enter someone else's world and feel what they feel and respond appropriately. We have an empathy shortage in our world. Have you noticed this? We have an empathy shortage in our world, which is why when you feel empathy, when someone shows empathy towards you, you know you have found a friend worth hanging on to. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, Paul wrote this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. See, here's what's all too common. You hear someone tell a story of something that they're proud of and that you, you feel like you have to one-up or compete with their good. Paul says, don't compete with their good. Rejoice with their good. Celebrate their good. Simultaneously, many of us, we get uncomfortable and don't know what to say or how to act when someone is weeping or grieving. And so to deal with our own discomfort, we try to cheer them up or shift the conversation You know, to, 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 to move their mind off of it or to move the topic off of it because we don't really know what to do. We feel uncomfortable. And that's putting you at the center of their experience. Friends, Enter the experience of the other and focus on what, on feeling what their friend is feeling, good, bad, uncomfortable, uncomfortable, because empathy is friendly. And so Paul says, weep with those who weep. If someone is weeping, if someone is grieving, weep and grieve with them. If someone's rejoicing, enter into their joy, like rejoice with them, feel what they're feeling in those moments as well. And then he says, live in harmony with each other. Meaning you don't always have to know exactly like they're like harmony is they're playing a note is someone's playing a note. And there's a note that matched that isn't the same note, but sounds good with it. That works well in harmony with it, that produces a pleasant sound with it. Meaning you don't always have to feel exactly what they're feeling. You may not feel the same grief, but you can bring along a presence and words and compassion that is not the same note, not the same feeling, but make sure that, that it sounds, that it's pleasant to be around while they're in the middle of those feelings. So live in harmony with another. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep because empathy is friendly. Number four is that gracious words are friendly. Gracious words are friendly. This is the decision and corresponding effort to make sure that whatever you say is good and pleasant and for the benefit of the people around you. Always. No self-centered speech, but only what builds up the other person. Not sarcastic speech when that's not needed, but only what builds up the other person. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul wrote this, Let your speech always, always, all the time, every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. Paul says, there's going to be some moments where you got to season some salt and, and bring a little spice to the conversation, where you got to bring a little bit of truth that's difficult to hear to the conversation. He says, but where, where religious people have often failed is they bring a lot of salt and then try to sprinkle a little bit of grace. Paul says, you bring a lot of grace. Make sure that your speech is always full of grace. Even when you're bringing the truth, bring full of grace. 
full of grace and sprinkle the truth when it needs to be, when it needs to be brought. See, here's what, what, what Paul is ultimately getting at. Let your conversation be always full of grace because, full, because graceful words are friendly. Gracious words are friendly. Sarcasm is funny, but it's not always friendly. Making a point is fun, but it usually isn't trying to build a friendship. Winning an argument on Facebook feels good. It just usually isn't that friendly. So many of the ways that we naturally kind of use our word in relationships with other people, on social platforms, in, in, in our job, in our workplace, at, 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 at birthday party, I mean, wherever we go, so many of the ways that we so often use our words, they just aren't that friendly. But gracious words are friendly. So let's use gracious words to build relationships in our lives. And then finally, forgiveness is friendly. Forgiveness is friendly. This is the habit of holding short accounts. To forgive quickly, not flippantly, but not holding on to offenses and how you've been wronged for long. Because you know in the context of relationships, things get said and offenses do happen and feelings do get hurt. And so you, if you want to build and have enduring friendships, you must get in the habit and build the habit of forgiveness. In Colossians, again, chapter 3, verse 13, Paul wrote this, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against one another, if anyone has been offended against one another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. See, this is important because it is almost impossible to be friendly and offended at the same time. That's good. It is almost impossible to be friendly and offended at the same time. And as long as you are holding on to offense, it will keep you from being friendly. You may be cordial, but you'll be fuming on the inside. And that fuming and furiousness on the inside, it will slip out in ways that you won't recognize, but everyone around you will recognize. Now, one last thing on holding on to offenses. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9, Solomon again wrote this, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter, whoever gossips about the matter, whoever takes it outside of the people that it's, that it's actually about, separates close friends. In other words, friends, when they have an issue with a friend, they go to that friend, not to their other friends. In other words, they go directly to the source rather than gathering people to their side. And if you want to be a friend, you've got to develop the habit of forgiveness and you've also got to develop the habit that you don't talk about it with a whole bunch of other people who the problem does not belong to. You go to the source, you go to the person that you actually have an issue with, that you actually have a difficulty with, that you actually, that you feel like offended you, you go to the source. Now, amazingly, this verse from Solomon that's so practical that's only the first half, and the second half shows something really, really cool that I want to make sure that we understand today. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, the whole, the whole thing. We read the A, now we're going to read the B. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. That's the truth. That's the law of conditional relationships. That if you want to have friends, you must be friendly. He says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, in the Christian faith, we believe that Solomon was speaking about close relationships. He was talking about our marriages. He was talking about our parenting. He was talking about our workplace relationships. He was talking about our, our, our deepest friendships. He was talking about all that. But we also believe that he was speaking forward to the friend that would be closer than a brother, to Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, who is also our friend. And amazingly, 
Everything that I just described as being friendly is something that you see personified in Jesus. See, if faithful is friendly, guess what? Jesus is the most faithful friend. He always walks with us in the best and the worst moments of our lives. He has promised that he will be with us always. He is the most faithful friend. If, if it's true that edifying others is friendly, Jesus is the example of edification who gave of himself to bring us back to the best that God has for us, to, who literally gave and laid down his life so that we could be brought back to God's original plan and original relationship with God. Jesus is the shining example of empathy. If empathy is friendship, we see in Jesus the epitome of friendship, that Jesus is the shining example of empathy. He entered our story. He felt everything that we feel so that he could go to a cross, lay down his life so that we could be brought back to God. He felt every bit of pain, every bit of joy, every bit of everything that we feel. He felt it all. He felt it all. He entered our story and felt what we feel so that we could know that God knows what it's like to be in our shoes. If it's true that gracious words are friendly, Jesus is the example of gracious words whose speech was always, 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 always for our benefit. It was truth-filled. It was grace-filled. It was all at both at both 100% at the same time. And if it's true that, that forgiveness is friendly, Jesus is the one who makes forgiveness available to every single one of us. If you want to have friends, you must first be friendly. And if you want to have friends, be like the greatest friend of all. Be a friend like Jesus. And if you do, as we close today, if you do, you will build better, stronger, healthier relationships across your entire life. That's the two foundational legs that we stand on. Be careful, not casual, who you surround yourself with. And then make sure that you are being the friend that you want others to be to you because you can't have and, and have friendships and be and, and have friends unless you're willing to be friendly. That's the two foundational legs we stand on in this series. And next week, we're gonna dive into how we live out and build the strongest friendships off of those two pillars. Now, for some of you, you may be hearing about Jesus and thinking, if Jesus is a friend like that, who is always faithful, who is always edifying and trying to bring out and build up the best in me, who is the shining example of empathy, who has entered our story to, and felt everything that we felt so that he could bring us back to God. If he's the example of gracious words, and if he is the one who makes forgiveness possible, I need to know Jesus and I need to choose Jesus today. Today, you can choose Jesus. You can choose to become a friend of Jesus and to know him and call him your friend and your Lord and your savior today. It begins by trusting in Jesus Christ for the death, in, in his death for the forgiveness of your sins and in his resurrection that brings you new life and back into relationship with God. So as I pray, if that's you, I want to encourage you to pray to your heavenly father, to pray and thank him for Jesus and thank you for what Jesus has done and to place your trust in Jesus as your friend and your Lord and your savior right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you for the example that Jesus has set for us of what a friend truly looks like. Thank you for his example of faithfulness. Thank you for his example of edification. Thank you for his example of empathy. Thank you for his example of gracious, kind words that are always for our benefit. And thank you for his example of forgiveness, that he made a way for forgiveness to be possible. And God, for some of us today, we're beginning to look to you and to ask you for the forgiveness that we need for our sins so that we can know you and be brought back into relationship with you. And thank you that Jesus makes that possible. 
And God, today, as we understand that, that, our, that our friendships, that our relationships, they all have some conditions placed on them. No matter what we wish, no matter what we hope, they do have conditions on them. And the condition is that we must first be friendly. Help us to be a friend like Jesus. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be willing to edify and build up other people. Help us to live out and practice empathy. Help us to practice gracious words. And God, help us to practice forgiveness. Because God, if we'll be a friend like Jesus, we can build strong and healthy and positive life-giving relationships with those around us. And that's what we want, and that's what we want to do. So God, help us to do that. Help us to have wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. Help us to have the, the courage to actually put it into practice, God. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.